Book three, chapter four of Garcia Marino by Augustin Berth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. The clergy, the army, and the magistracy. To produce the effective regeneration of a people, a statesman needs three cooperators: zealous priests, faithful soldiers, and incorruptible and honest magistrates. Garcia Marino felt this so strongly that the moment that he found himself delivered from the demons of the revolution, he set to work to raise each and all to the height of their sublime functions. The reform of the clergy had languished since 1865, mainly owing to the weakness of the apostolic delegate, who was too gentle to struggle with the rebellious spirits he had to deal with. Garcia Marino explained his difficulties to the Holy Father, Pius IX, who thanked him for his zeal, in a matter which he had so much at heart, and sent him a fresh delegate to confer with the ecclesiastical hierarchy on the best measures to be adopted to carry out the desired reforms. Under the impulsion of the President, several provincial councils were held, the ecclesiastical tribunals were reopened, and the code of procedure remodeled so as to re-establish the stricter morality by the punishment of delinquents. The reform made rapid progress in consequence, though not without exciting the anger of the guilty. A religious of great eloquence, preaching one day at Latacunga, went so far as openly to attack the president for his share in these proceedings, ending with a scarcely veiled appeal to a rebellion against them. It is fair to add that the orator, conscious of his fault, went the next day to make his excuses to the governor, but such a proceeding could not remain unpunished. Three days later, the governor received from the president an order for the arrest of the priest, who was to be tried by the usual forms of canon law. This religious, however, so freely acknowledged his error that he was pardoned by Garcia Marino's interference, and ever after preached the necessity of reform among the clergy with the greatest zeal, while vowing eternal gratitude to the president. This transformation, and the arrival of a large number of religious from Europe, invited by Garcia Marino to restore discipline and order in the monasteries, exasperated the radicals, who made a furious attack upon the president and the bishops. The Archbishop of Quito thought himself obliged to answer it, and after a magnificent protest against the assertion that the country was enslaved under the new constitution, concluded with the words, If you call the noble conduct of the head of the state oppression, I bless oppression with all my heart. The Archbishop communicated this protest to Garcia Marino, who thanked him, but added, that as to the impious, pamphlets put out by the Freemasons of Colombia, I take as little account of them as of the pestilential miasmas of their distant marshes. His next care was the reform of the army. He did not choose to impoverish the country by having a very large body of troops. A few thousand soldiers were, he thought, sufficient in time of peace to maintain order and guard the frontiers. But to have men ready in case of war, he created a national guard, composed of men fit to carry arms, from eighteen to forty-five years of age. The citizens took part in their military exercises at certain periods of the year, so as to be ready at any time to be called out, in case of need, for garrison or other duty. In that way a great economy was effected in the army estimates, while the country, and especially the agriculturists, were not deprived, as before, of the necessary amount of labor. Another great evil was the system of recruiting. Armed men invaded families and carried off young men as they pleased, often compelling the parents to pay their ransom twice over, so that when a fresh levy was to be made, the youths fled into the mountains to escape, and became bandits and highway robbers in order to live. Garcia Marino had obtained, on his first election as president, a law of conscription, in which all interests were considered, and the sum for substitutes regularly fixed. 
but thanks to the intrigues of the radicals this law remained a dead letter however he destroyed the abuse in one way by not permitting recruiting sergeants to enroll men any longer confiding that task to the civil authorities the cases of exemption from service were clearly defined illegalities severely punished and any attempt at violence was at once brought before the courts and condemned small as his army was garcia marina was determined it should be effective well disciplined moral educated and full of self-abnegation and patriotism for this purpose his first care was to appoint good and capable officers he founded a school of cadets a kind of st cyr where men of the highest families passed their examinations in mathematics and military tactics the army was thus enriched year by year with young officers determined to make their army career both honourable and distinguished the whole system of promotion also was altered and the previous intrigues whereby higher grades and decorations had been given to unworthy men were cancelled and only real merit henceforth could obtain distinction Garcia Marina did not hesitate to spend large sums to obtain the best and newest weapons from Europe, and sent his most intelligent officers to follow the maneuvers, especially of the Prussian army, that they might thoroughly learn all the new methods of warfare, so that very soon his army, small as it was, could hold its own with the finest European troops, both in equipment, discipline, and precision of movement. In one particular, indeed, it was superior. Garcia Marina did not think he had a right to tear away a lad from his home and his family, to make him a monster of impiety and immorality. He provided military chaplains in every regiment, who not only were bound to say mass and to insist on the attendance of the soldiers, but who gave them careful religious instructions and prepared them for the reception of the sacraments. Besides the pious exercises of every week, an annual retreat was given to the men, who eagerly took advantage of it. In fact, the effect produced on these young men was so great that many became perfect models of piety. Instead of filling the public houses or giving way to sensual pleasures, they frequented the night schools where they learned to read, write, and do sums, besides more advanced sciences. The result of all this was that the soldiers adored Garcia Marino and looked upon him as a real father. He loved the masses' children, caring for them in sickness, anticipating their wants, and never permitting their pay to be in arrears for a single day. As an instance of this, he saw an old soldier one day from his window walking up and down for a long while, as if waiting for something. On inquiring the cause, the man replied he was waiting for his pay, which had been due for a month, and that he was dying of hunger in consequence. Garcia Marino sent for the paymaster, who declared the man had been paid. Garcia Marino, turning angrily to the old soldier, exclaimed, You have deceived me and deserve to be flogged. The soldier calmly replied, If the paymaster speaks the truth, his books will show whether or not the payment has been made. Garcia Marino instantly sent for the accounts, and found the paymaster had lied. Pointing to the fact, he sternly said, Write, receive from the paymaster fifty piastres, as a fine inflicted by the president, on the utterer of an odious falsehood. The unhappy officer paid it at once, only too thankful to escape, with this slight punishment, while the poor invalid soldier went on his way, rejoicing that he had a chief so able and willing to do justice to the humblest of his subjects. In spite of his affection for his troops, however, Garcia Marino never allowed a breach of discipline to remain unpunished. One of his servants, to whom he was specially attached, had joined the army, and in a fit of passion had struck his commanding officer. A council of war condemned him to death, but everyone thought he would obtain a remission of his sentence from the president. Garcia Marino was, however, inflexible. 
I would give anything to pardon him, he exclaimed, but my conscience will not allow me. The day of the execution, not to hear the balls, he went to a church in the outskirts of the town, and there remained, praying, on the floor, until the fatal moment was over. The only thing which now remained to be done was the reform of the penal code and of the magistrates and judges. From the laxity of the latter and the complicity of the juries with the criminals, it was almost impossible to obtain the punishment of even notorious malefactors who committed the most infamous crimes with impunity. Under the direction of Garcia Moreno, the Congress agreed to complete revision of the code, adjusting it to the moral state of the country, and introducing several provisions against drunkards, debauchees, and disturbers of the public peace. But he has still graver difficulties to contend with in dealing with the judges, many of whom made justice a pure matter of traffic, and gave acquittals to the highest bidders. Garcia Moreno devoted himself to this reform throughout the whole of his second presidency. He first exacted a serious study of law and jurisprudence of the candidates for legal posts, while, in virtue of the new constitution, the government intervened in the nomination both of judges and magistrates. It was thus easy to get rid of incapable or unworthy men, and to confide the grave duty of administering justice to persons approved probity and honor. Such of the existing judges as were found guilty of bribery and corruption were suspended from their functions, or ignominiously dismissed, and lawyers convicted of taking advantage of the ignorance of their clients likewise incurred grave penalties. Garcia Marina was not content with passing these laws, but watched carefully over their infraction. On one occasion, when a woman of infamous character, convicted of murder, had been sentenced to only a few months of banishment, owing to the venality of the jury, he summoned the latter before him and spoke to them as follows. As you have chosen to condemn so notorious a criminal to only a few months' exile, and as the troops are too busy to undertake the duty, I have chosen you to convey her to the frontier of New Granada. The jury were retiring, much ashamed, to prepare their horses, when Garcia Marina called them back. You are going on state service, he said ironically, and it is fair that I should provide the means of transport. To their dismay, some lame and miserable mules appeared ready saddled at the door. Do not complain of your beasts, he added. They are less lame than your sentences. And the unhappy jurymen found themselves compelled to ride through the streets of the town with the criminal in the middle of them, amidst the sneers and hisses of the crowd. In spite of all his care, however, he had to struggle up to the day of his death with these abuses, and at last made a formal demand to Congress for the suspension of trial by jury. He was not content with exacting professional integrity in his magistrates, but would not tolerate anything like immorality in their conduct. He had among his friends a judge who had always behaved admirably in his court, but whose private life was anything but edifying. He sent for him, and by an ingenious parable, really like that of Nathan to David, asked him his opinion as to whether, in such a case, he ought not to warn the individual in question. The judge replied, without hesitation, that he was bound to do so. "'Allow me, then,' replied Garcia Marino, "'to fulfill that duty. "'You are the man who gives the scandal.' The culprit, touched by his kindness and charity, at once confessed his sin and reformed his life. All these reforms in the penal code and in the magistracy brought about a vast improvement in the morality of the country. Prostitution and drunkenness were checked by severe police regulations, and those who persisted in their evil courses were imprisoned or banished.' While Garcia Marino opened homes for confirmed inebriates, in which by medical treatment and agricultural work, these madmen became, in the end, decent members of society. 
thanks to these exhaustive measures ecuador found herself at last in possession of justice and morality which resulted in happiness peace and order to her inhabitants End of book three chapter four